0: Hey folks, welcome to the sermons podcast of Christ Church at Grow Farm. We are thrilled to have you joining us as we embark on a journey following the life of Christ this year. You can follow along with us in person or online during our Sunday services at 9 and 11, 15 a.m. or you can catch up or revisit our messages right here through our sermons podcast and also on YouTube. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. I want to take a moment uh, before we dive into the message to celebrate a church family milestone. We have a great staff here, and one of our staff people is celebrating... Her 20th anniversary, 20th year on staff today, which is really incredible. Her name is Michelle Bender. Would you please give a round of applause for Michelle Bender? We have a picture of Michelle to show it to you here. She and her husband, Tom, wonderful people. You know, Michelle is the first person, other than John Guest, to reach that 20-year milestone on our staff, which is really incredible. It speaks to her faithfulness. She's a wonderful person to work with. I'll tell you this. Michelle serves the church, and she impacts the church family, in ways that you're unaware of. For instance, she's the one who produced and made these Bible Verse of the Year cards, which by the way, you should grab one of these. You should grab two or three of these. You can give them to other people. Take as many as you need. It's a great thing. Not only that, she's the one who produces every week our Connect card, which AK has already mentioned. And that Connect card, by the way, is different every week. You should read this. It'll tell you how we have things going on in the church and how you can be a part of it. We're really grateful for Michelle. One more time, give it up for Michelle Bender. Faithful servant. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for examples of faithfulness in people. We see it in the scriptures. Even today, Lord, we'll see through Simon's example, faithfulness. We could think of people in our lives who have that kind of example, an example of faithfulness to you, God. And thankful, and today, Lord, we're thankful for Michelle's example of faithfulness over many years and how, even quietly, in the background, we can serve and be a part of your kingdom work. So thank you, Lord, for Michelle. Bless her and her family today and always. And God, we pray that you would bless us with insight and spiritual wisdom as we dive into this text here today. I pray, God, that we would be transformed as we consider what the scriptures have to say to us through the life of Christ today. So God, teach us. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Another thing to celebrate in the life of the church, I got a text um, earlier this week from Bethany Rary, who is our children's minister. And Bethany gave me a great update about the ministry and what took place here on Wednesday night. She told me that, quote, four longtime students made a first-time decision to Christ, for Christ, on Wednesday night. Isn't that a great thing? Come on. We love it. We love it. That's the kind of thing we want to see. And when we have little Lydia up here, precious little girl, we anticipate that there will be a day when the kids come to know Christ. And so we're grateful for the ministry. We want to support the ministry in every way. And, and here's what we do. We, we join with these families and also the small group leaders who volunteer and work with those kids, those four. And we celebrate Transformation. You know, on Wednesday, when those kids made a commitment to Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place. They move from darkness to light. They move from children of the world to children of God, right? There's this move that happens, and there's a transformative work that is going to continue as long as they live until Jesus returns. We celebrate the work of transformation. That's our hope, transformation. Don't you want to be transformed? I mean, that's got to be a part of the equation of why you, you show up on a day like this. It's cold outside. It's got to be a part of the reason why some of you are worshiping at home, online. You want and you desire to be transformed. We want to worship God, yes. We want to serve him. We want to be, we desire to be changed, transformed. We are in a very real sense spiritually at once, but then that work continues. And we're hoping that being in the presence of other believers and gathering together for worship, that there'll be a work of transformation in us. Maybe like those four kids I'm talking about. You can think of a moment in your life where you embrace the miracle of salvation in your life. Can you think of that time? I know a lot of you can. And as you know, yes, there's a work of transformation happens, but that work of transformation continues in your life today. Listen, I pray that the work of transformation by the Holy Spirit will continue in your life. Maybe this message, maybe this text we're looking at will be a part of that transformation. I'm sure hoping that'll be the case. There there are others who are in the audience today who maybe faith is confusing or maybe faith is complicated for you and your heart and your mind. And you can't think of a time when that work of transformation had begun. Listen, today could be the day. Today is the day for you. Listen, that transformative power is available to you today. And I think you're going to see it even in the text, how you can respond to God, how you can have a story like those four kids, how you can give your life to Christ and see the work of transformation by God's Spirit take root in your life. There's hope. And so that's part of our prayer today as well. And so as we open the Scriptures and we consider the life of Christ... May we be transformed in our minds. Amen? May we be transformed in our hearts. May our lives be transformed. Let's go back to the text. A.K., who does a wonderful job leading us in worship. Thank you, A.K. Has already read this passage to us, but it's always good to get back into it. She's already mentioned that you should take some notes, not because of what I say is important, because God will speak to you. There may be something from the scriptures that stands out. You might write down a question. You might write down another passage to look up. But write down, take some notes. We want to be students of God's word. I'll tell you before I I read verse one once more that the text that we're looking at today may sound familiar. If you've been following along in this series, The Life of Christ, you know that we began on January 9th with with a a message on Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 22. And you might say, this seems like it's the same passage. Well, it's not. There's a difference. There in Matthew 4, the disciples were busy fishing. They were in the act of fishing when they encountered Jesus. Here, they fished all night, and they came up with nothing. They're in the aftermath of their fishing expedition. What we could tell is this, that Jesus in Matthew 4 enlisted the disciples, and they did travel with him to Galilee and Capernaum, these places we've been talking about on the map. But they must have evidently gone back to their, to their careers, to their trade, back to fishing. And so now we see Jesus calling them into full-time discipleship. Let's go to the text again. I'm gonna read verse one. We're gonna go chunk by chunk, verse by verse in some cases through this text. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to, To the word of God. Okay, let's just pause there. The first thing you see is this place called the Lake of Gennesaret. That that place, that Lake of Gennesaret, is what the locals called it. We know it, and we've been referring to it on our map as the Sea of Galilee. Same place. And this was a place that was famous for for rich commercial fishery. This was a great place for fishermen to go in their boats and to cast down their nets. And that's what we see the disciples doing here. And I love this little phrase. It's a part of verse one. It's one that I underlined. It's this. They were listening. The people were crowding around Jesus and they were listening to the word of God. Now let's just stop there for a moment. I'll tell you this. There is power in listening to the word of God, reading it, hearing someone preach about it. Taking it in for yourself. There is power in the word of God. To be sure, Jesus is teaching here. And no one could teach like Jesus. No one has the authority of Jesus. But listen, there is power even today for us in the word of God. The word of God has transformative power. The word of God has transformative power. Listen, those four kids who gave their life to Christ, they have great leaders. Bethany does a great job. You know what transformed their lives? We're committed to the scriptures. And I know that by them hearing the stories of Jesus, him being revealed who he is, it had an impact in their hearts. And the authority of Jesus works in children's lives. It works in the life of youth. It works in our lives. And so there is transformative power in the word of God. I'll point out a scripture to you. It comes from the book of Hebrews chapter four. Just one verse, verse 12. And it says this, it says uh, in verse 12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of, Of the heart. Look, the Word of God has the authority, has the power to transform your life. You want transformation? I suggest you start with God's Word. It's a great place to start. In fact, it's the only place to start. And God will transform your life. I love the people are crowding around, crushing in to hear the Word of God. Why? Because they want to hear a learning lesson? No, because they recognized there was something that was speaking to their soul, speaking to their heart. They had to hear it and they were being transformed. May the same thing happen for you and I. Back to the text, going back to Luke's gospel, chapter five, verse two. It says, he saw at the water's edge, this is Jesus. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. That's Peter, by the way, he'll soon be renamed. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down, and taught the people from the boat. You know, as we see Jesus take the boat over and go out a little bit into the lake and begin to teach, the question arose to me in my mind, well, whose boat is it? Whose boat is it? Is it Simon's boat? Jesus' boat? Because here's what we see. Jesus essentially commandeers the boat, and he uses the boat as a teaching platform. He didn't wait to go to the church, He didn't wait to to have the perfect opportunity. He said, what do I got around me? I've got a boat. And Jesus commandeered that boat and he began to teach from that boat. You know, it's interesting. I bet when the boat went back to being Simon's again, it became a fishing boat. But Jesus sees more than that in the opportunity on the boat that day. And, And I think there's a lesson in there for us. You know, consider this. I think that a lot of us, if we're really honest, don't like it when God, or faith interferes with our job, or our homes, or our hobbies, that kind of bugs us. Because we like to think of things as being ours. I wonder if Peter felt that way that day. I wonder if he was a little annoyed that Jesus was using his, his boat. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But I think we feel that way whenever we feel like faith invades the privacy of our lives. When we feel like there's a sense of, of, of ownership that things belong to us, I want to push up against that. Let me ask you a question. Who does it belong to? I mean, for instance, whose workplace is it? I'm asking you rhetorical questions here. Whose workplace is it? Whose home is it? Whose free time is it? Who's it belong to? Is it yours? Is it mine? Who's it belong to? Whose life is it ultimately? Here's what we see. God wanted to use Peter's workplace, his resources to teach people about the kingdom of God. And the same thing is true today. God wants to use your life, every single bit of it. He wants to use your life, your your home, your workplace, your free time, fill in the blank. He wants to use all of your life as a platform for the gospel. Just as you use Peter's boat as a platform to teach, Jesus desires to transform the way you and I view the entirety of our lives. You hear that? He wants to transform you in that way. The way that you view everything in your life, Jesus desires to transform you. I'll tell you this you and I, we exist to glorify God, to worship him. You can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit, by the way. We can't live to glorify God apart from his power and his strength. We don't have it in us. And the mission isn't just to do good deeds. It's not just to do good deeds. Listen, the message, proclaiming the gospel is important. It's not only deeds. It's not only works. It's words that matter. People will see Jesus if they hear about him from us. People will see Jesus if they hear about him. Look, I'm like anyone else. I've said before, well, I'm going to preach with my actions, right? I'm going to live out as an example. And that could be powerful. I want to minimize that. But know this, words are important. No words, no gospel. We have to get serious about sharing the word of God, not only in deeds, but through our lips, through our mouths. And we see here, that Jesus sets his great example that that the boat belongs to him. It all belongs to him. He wants to transform it for something that's life-giving to tell people about the hope of salvation through him and him alone. Jesus desires to transform the way that you view the entirety of your life. Okay, back to the text. This is fascinating, isn't it? Okay, so Jesus takes over the boat. He's teaching from it. And listen to this, verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I will let down nets. I know this, man, if I was was up all night and I didn't catch any fish, I wouldn't just be cleaning those nets, I'd be selling those nets because I wouldn't want to use them again. That seemed like a waste of my time, right? I would not like that. I would not want to go out again. But here's something, fishermen don't quit. Fishermen don't quit. They're persistent. They keep on going. You know, I was talking to one of our parish council members, a lay leader in the church, and they were telling me this week that they have been praying earnestly that uh, an acquaintance of theirs, a friend of theirs, would come to know Christ, And honestly, to this point, they've been kind of rebuffed. You know, they've tried with this person, they've invited, they've they've shared. Nothing's happened. And that can be a little discouraging, but you know what? That person told me this, they're going to keep on sharing. And they're going to keep on praying. That's the spirit of the fisherman. That's what disciples do. We don't quit. And so rather than packing up the nets and selling them, Peter has cleaning them, he's getting ready to go out again at some point. He wasn't expecting to go out this quickly. But Jesus does something really interesting. He calls them to go out again. And there's a word that I also underlined in the text that maybe you would as well, and that's this. Master, when Jesus tells them to go out into the deep water, which, by the way, was not where you caught fish in the Sea of Galilee, and when you called them out to go in the daytime, which, by the way, was not when you caught fish in the Sea of Galilee, it was in the shallow water at night, he still said, Okay, and he calls him master. Here, Simon recognizes Jesus' authority even over his fishing boat. He says, okay, God, it's all yours. My career, my boat, everything I've got is yours. He recognizes as authority. which And he says, at your word, I will put down the nets. <laughs> and my guess is this, Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus was up to. You know, Peter is a master fisherman. Here's Jesus, who's a carpenter, telling him how to fish. That probably didn't seem to equate with him, but he obeyed Jesus. This is a response of obedience on Peter's part. Peter sees Jesus, he calls him master, and he says, sure, if you say it, God, if you say it, Jesus, I will do it. I believe that this reflects to us that that Peter, who's called here Simon, is on his way, well on his way, to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. you know why? Because of his obedience. Not because of his knowledge. Knowledge isn't the thing that would reflect a disciple of Christ. No, it's his obedience to Jesus. There's there's this spirit of, you say it, Lord, I'll do it. You say it, I'll do it. That's reflected in Peter's actions here. And, And I think this is important for us as we consider this transformation in our own lives. Listen, obedience will transform you. Obedience transforms us. I wrote down some examples. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's talk about giving for a moment. Generosity. Some of you probably wrestle with this idea of giving to an organization, whether it's a church or a nonprofit or giving to a neighbor. You wrestle with this. You think, well, it's my money. I believe this. God is calling and nudging many of you to give, to be more generous. And maybe that means to give 5% of what you own away. Maybe it means 10. Maybe it's exceeding 10%. But there's a step of obedience that God's putting out there for you saying, hey, be obedient, give, be generous, trust me in this. Obedience will bring about transformation in your life. Or maybe it's service. Maybe as a part of your weekly flow, you don't serve at all. You know, whether it's in the community in some fashion or in the church, whatever it might be. Maybe maybe service isn't a part of your life. I believe that God is saying, hey, would you serve? Would you serve me through the community, through the church, through Urban Impact, whatever it might be, would you serve? It's a step of obedience. It's an opportunity for you in that way. For others, it might be a, a, a step of obedience to commit, to commit. Maybe it's committing to read the scriptures. You've never done it. You've never committed so I'm going to read the scriptures on a regular basis. That might be your step of obedience. It might be to get help. It could be that you are struggling with a, with a certain sin or vice or, or whatever it might be. And you simply just need help getting over the hump because you can't do it yourself. Your step of obedience might be to commit, to seek help and get help. For some of you who are, who are unmarried, but you're in a relationship The step might be of obedience to trust God and get married and seek out a marriage opportunity, make that kind of commitment. You might be called to go, to go and seek forgiveness, for instance. You know, this morning, that was my step of obedience for the Lord. I had something I needed to go back and ask forgiveness of. And so I did that this morning before I began worship. I went and I sought an opportunity to say, would you forgive me? That might be your step to go. Whatever it might be, it might be to wait and to stop and listen and pray, but there's some step of obedience. What is God directing you to do? What is it? You know, we see here that Peter was obedient. He's well on his way to transformation. He's well on his way to the road of discipleship. Peter's obedient. He says, master, you say it, I'll do it. I'll give you one last example. You know, my wife and I, for 12 years, lived in Memphis, Tennessee. We're both originally from Western Pennsylvania. This is where we grew up. These are our people. We we love Western Pennsylvania. But but God was calling us, we discerned, to make a move from Western PA, where we always have lived, and, and to go to Memphis. Now, this was starting all over for us. We knew no one there. We didn't understand the culture there. We didn't know how to get around the town there. And you might think, well, hey, How could you leave such a wonderful climate behind and move south? (laughs) That had to be really tough, Craig. (laughs) You know, it was tough in a lot of ways because we left behind relationships. We left behind a life that, quite honestly, was very comfortable. We lived in the town where Lisa grew up. It was tough, but we recognized that we had to put faith to our feet, that we had to be obedient. And even though we didn't understand it all, that God was calling us to, to make that move. And I can tell you this now on the other side of it, those 12 years were transformational in our lives in every way. It was a step of obedience. Listen, transformation comes through obedience. Transformation comes through obedience. That step that Peter took on that boat by saying, master, okay, this doesn't make any sense, but if you say it, I'll do it, was a big deal. I think that step's there for you today. To take a step of obedience and trust me, trust God, you will see transformation take root in your lives. Let's go back to the text. Okay, so he's told them to throw the nets in. Simon says, okay, you say it, God, I'll do it. And then in verse six, when they had done some, when they had thrown the nets over, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled, whistled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Hey, this is a miracle here that's taking place. Don't don't lose sight of that. It's also, of course, an object lesson of sorts. Jesus is intending to teach something here. This is how Jesus teaches. Let me break it down for you. I think it's, it's a pretty simple thing for us to understand. But for clarity's sake, I want to speak to it. The first thing you see is this huge haul of fish, right? Just a massive number of fish. We can't underestimate this. This is weighing down the boats. The boats are almost sinking because the fish in the boat are so heavy. It's such a great catch. This is speaking to God's desire to bring great multitudes of people into his kingdom. God loves the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And what's his desire? to bring great numbers and multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. And how's that gonna happen? Well, just as the fish were sent into the nets at a time of day when you typically didn't catch fish and in a part of the lake where you typically didn't catch fish either, just as Jesus commanded the fish and had control over them and drew them into the net, in the same way, people are going to be won over by Jesus' authority and his power in the world. That's what we see here. That through the power and the authority of Jesus, many people will be caught, a multitude of people caught. That's been happening since this time on to today, and that work will continue. And just as Simon was called to trust Jesus, to gather the people, well, there's a lesson here for us. There are human fishermen and fisherwomen who will bring in the people. This is how God works. He uses people. And by the power and the authority of Jesus, people will share the gospel. People will be evangelists and tell people about Jesus, and many will be caught into his kingdom, brought into his kingdom. That's the picture, don't you get it? It's great. What a beautiful object lesson. What a powerful one, and it's important. And And here's what I think we could take away. We need to trust Christ to help us gather people for his glory, so that they would be saved and understand salvation. You know, that's why we're doing this Life of Christ series. This is all about us paying attention to the way that Jesus moves and ministers and acts and seeking to do the same thing here at Christ Church in our context. And someone would say, well, you, you just want everyone to think like you. You Christians are all this. same." not at all. We want to spread the hope of God. Through Jesus Christ, we want the life of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus to touch every human heart. We want people to know the power of transformation. It's a power that breaks sin. It's a power that changes marriages. It's a power that changes the lives of young people and old people. It's a power that gives people purpose. It's a power that gives people freedom and sets them free. This is what we desire to see in people. This is why we want to be a part of this great fishing expedition that God has called us on, that we would be fishers of people and that God would bring many people to his kingdom even through us. This is the point. This is the calling, not only of Peter and his friends, but it's the calling of God on our lives as well. What a great object lesson. Doesn't that give you hope? In other words, if you go fishing and you trust in the power and authority of Jesus, you will see that there's a great hall of fish that people will be gathered and brought to the Lord. And we can rejoice in knowing that many people move from death to life. Amen? This is what we're about, and this is what we're after. I hope you got that. Let's look at verse 8 of chapter 5. It says When Simon Peter saw this, when he saw this great multitude of fish, that the boats could barely make it to shore because there were so many fish he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. By the way, that's the first time that word is used to address Jesus, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were all astonished. And and it goes on to say this, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. He gives them a new vision for their lives. He gives them a new purpose for their lives. And I love the response of Peter upon seeing this great catch of fish. Huge catch. We can't underestimate this. Peter, when he was brought face to face with the authority of Jesus, had a couple of responses. How does he respond? He responds to the lavish miracle that's beyond what he deserves. He responds to holiness in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, by expressing that he's a sinner And, and being fearful before God to the point where Jesus said, don't fear. This is what happens when we are brought face to face with the power and the majesty and the lavish riches of Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and his love. There's a sense of conviction. This is where transformation begins, by the way. The the proper response to seeing the power and the the authority and the the miraculous generosity of God is a response like Peter's to say, I'm a sinner. Oh God, I'm not worthy of you. That's the beginning of transformation. to, To recognize how unworthy we are. And so the step of confessing our sin. The step of recognizing and running to Jesus as Savior cannot be underestimated in all this. That is the beginning of transformation. You want transformation in your life? Yes, seek God's word. And as you do, as you come face to face, read the gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for yourself, and as you do, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna say, wow, I'm convicted of my own sin as I consider the word of God, as I consider the person of Jesus Christ and who God is. And I say, God, I'm a sinful person. I need a savior. That's Peter's response in light of what happened and coming face to face with Jesus. I pray that'll be our response. I pray that kind of conviction. I pray that kind of astonishment and even holy fear, healthy, holy fear of God would touch our hearts. And to work a transformation would begin in our lives as we say, God, I need you. Okay. Back to verse 11. There's one more verse I want to read here. It's an important one. The fish have been caught. Jesus has been brought face to face with Peter and his companions. They've witnessed this great miracle. And here's their final response in verse 11. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Huh. You talk about a transformation. The, these guys left everything and followed him left everything and followed him you know surely this huge haul of fish was worth a lot of money i mean for them to catch that many fish it's months of income perhaps more than that but i don't want to rationalize their decision to leave everything and follow jesus away by by confusing it with the amount of money they may have got from that catch of fish Listen, the truth of the matter is this, and I try to them out of this. They left family, they left career all behind to follow Jesus. We have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with this because here's what it says in, in Luke 14. If you go to Luke 14, just a few pages away, Jesus addresses this same thing with a wide audience. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce All that he has cannot be my disciple. What we see Peter and the boys do here where they leave everything and they follow him, Jesus puts on all of us. He says that any one of you, any one of you who want to follow me must forsake, renounce all that you have. If not, you can't be my disciple. Hmm. This applies, and again, I tried to squirm out of this. This applies to every disciple and all of our resources. Sobering. Now, listen. Your resources, the things that you, you are under your sway, they, they, may, they may remain under your stewardship. That might be true. You may have a house and cars and all kinds of other things. Those things may, may reside and remain under your leadership and your stewardship, but we must be ready. Here's what this is saying. We must be ready at any time to let go of everything for the sake of Jesus. That's what it says. At any time, we can give that up. And and we must assume, as we read here, that the cost may be total to give it all up. All possessions, all relationships, all of life. Look, we have examples in our church of people who have done this. Some of you know Jim West. Jim West has been a missionary in Uganda. He works under the organization called Seed. And Jim right now is in India. He literally at one point in his life sold everything he had, moved away from the people he loves to go to Uganda and India. Major step. Hey, John Guest, our own John Guest, who is our our founding preacher and pastor. He left England many years ago, left behind his family, his friends, his mom, his brothers, And he moved to the United States to follow the call of Jesus. He left it all behind. Hey, in a real small way, my wife and I, Lisa and I, we moved away from all of our relationships. We moved away from from a life that was, again, as I mentioned earlier, very comfortable. There is a cost in following Jesus. We may be called to give it all up, to give a total uh, giving away of everything we have. Disciples are either all in or they're not. It's something to wrestle with tell you this, the total, the cost is comprehensive in principle. The cost of following Jesus is, is in principle everything. And it actually may be total in actual experience. You may find that to be true. It's sobering. It's something to consider. It's something to count the cost of. But let me tell you this, the payoff is worth the cost. The payoff is worth it, guys, to see life transformation in people's lives. It was worth it for us to move to to Memphis and to leave behind relationship and comfortable uh, uh, living arrangements. It It was worth it for Jim West to go to Uganda to provide clean water and the gospel for people. It's worth it. It was worth it for John Guest to come from England to the United States. It's worth it for these disciples to forsake the, 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 the things that they own, their possessions and their relationships. And I'll tell you this also, if you read Luke 14, that chapter, you'll see this, that Jesus promises to repay everything you leave in eternity at the resurrection. It's clear. The cost is worth it. And so here's what I would call us to do. I would call us... To, to ask the Lord to transform us, that we might be this kind of people, that he would transform us, that we would be all in, that we would be a people who are obedient to Jesus, that we would be a people that, 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 that give Christ more and more of our lives and everything that's a part of it, that God would use us to gather people, to reach people. I want to be that all-in Christian, Do you want to be that all in person? This is what it requires. This is the call of the disciple. And so I have a way, I think, that we can respond to this thing. I think it'd be appropriate. You know, we see Peter, when he encountered Jesus, when this call was put before him, what did he do? He dropped to his knees before God and said, God, help me. I can't do this. God, I, I submit myself to you. And so today here in this place, I would call us to get on our knees as a response to this passage. And this call to be all-in followers, disciples of Jesus. And so if you are willing and you're able to take down the kneelers in front of you and get on your knees, I'd ask you to join me on your knees in prayer as we go before God in light of this message he's put before us today. Oh God, we come before you and we desire God to be all-in. We see the example of Peter, who left everything to follow Jesus we recognize, Lord, that the call of the disciple is total in principle and that it may actually require us giving everything we own, everything we have to follow him. Oh God, help us, strengthen us. Help us, Lord, to have our eyes on the right thing that we would see and know that you will repay both in this life, I believe, through the power of transformation and certainly in the life to come. Everything that we've given up tenfold even more lord i pray that we would be obedient to you i pray lord would be transformed as we consider your word and we encounter jesus lord i pray that you'd use us to help gather people to bring them into your kingdom that we would open our mouths and share the story of jesus the testimonies of our own lives that we would pray and share god if there's anyone here today who's never begun that transformative work in their lives, Lord, I pray they would take the opportunity now that they'd be brought face to face with Jesus. And they would come on their knees and say, God, I need a savior. God, I'm a sinner. Rescue me. Save me, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would teach me to live for him. God, hear the prayers of those who are crying out to you even now and saying, oh, I need Jesus. Thank you, God, for this text. Thank you for the example of Peter. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Thank you for your great love for people, that your desire is that many would know you through him. God, we pray all these prayers together in faith. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.